Hello and welcome to the February 2019 edition of the podcast from the journal Addiction. Uh, my name is Dr Susie Gage. And my name's uh, Rob Calder. So we've been looking through the February 2019 edition of the journal and we've picked out some of our highlights. So Rob, I think you've looked at the editorial, haven't you? The edition starts with uh, an editorial about um, airline pilots and substance use, use uh, substance use disorders um, and this kind of um, is off the back of, there was the uh, crash in um, March 2015 um, in which mental health issues and, and substance use disorders were, were implicated. Um, it's a really interesting article and a really interesting editorial, sorry, uh, written by Gerhard uh, Böhringer. Um, apologies if I've pronounced that wrong. Um, it is, it's well worth read, but it really kind of encapsulates a lot of the issues around addiction where... Certainly for pilots, if you're talking about uh, substance use, a popular approach is to kind of have a zero tolerance test everyone. And yet to be most effective, um, there needs to be a slightly more nuanced approach where there's you know, harm reduction and, um, and support and, and long term uh, issues with that. Because, again, the, you know, the zero tolerance precludes uh, pilots from, uh, from seeking help because they, you know, they then fear uh, what will happen to their job. And I think it really encapsulates a lot of the uh, wider issues of addiction that come in. It's a really well-written uh, editorial, certainly worth uh, having a look at. Yes, and I guess it treads a very careful line between safety to people who are being piloted by people yeah. and uh, protecting the rights of people who need to seek treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, when someone's flying a plane, it's such um, a kind of extreme example of the amount of harm that you can cause to other people um, and quite a unique uh, uh, model as well. So, it's, yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting area. Fabulous. Well, I've looked at some of the research reports in the journal and there's a few about alcohol, about illicit drugs, about nicotine and some about multiple substances. And I've just picked a couple from each sort of section. So there's a really interesting paper um, by Scarby and colleagues looking at the associations of alcohol consumption with allergic disease and asthma. And this is an association that you see a lot in observational data Mm. that uh, alcohol consumption tends to be positively associated with hay fever, but negatively associated with asthma. This group used a technique called Mendelian randomization to try and get at the causality here and using this technique they found that the results weren't consistent with these associations being causal which might suggest there's some sort of residual confounding in these associations that we see. Yeah I thought thought it was really interesting so they're they're saying that there's a negative association between using alcohol and asthma is that it? Is that what they they found? That's what they found in the observational studies. But when they conducted this sort of... They use this technique called Mendelian randomization, And what this does is it uh, uses genetic variants that predict alcohol use as unconfounded proxy variables for alcohol use, which is obviously confounded by lots of other things like socioeconomic status and all Mm. sorts of things influence whether you're likely to use alcohol. But so do your genetics. And so if you can use genetics which shouldn't be confounded because you inherit them at conception so they can't be influenced by reverse causality and they can't be influenced by your environment then this might be able to give us a better idea of whether these associations are actually causal and it's an idea originally taken from um, economics literature that's been sort of applied in this way to observational epidemiology. Wow. So I mean I'm a, li- I'm a little biased because I use Mendelian randomization quite a lot but it's a really really interesting paper. Fantastic. And another paper which I think you've conducted an interview with the author is about um, 
the impact of alcohol taxation on rates of violent victimisation in large urban area? Yeah, I, it, it, it was a fascinating paper. So this was by um, Catherine Keyes, um, who I interviewed on Friday. It's a fascinating paper, and what they've done is they've used agent-based modelling to create a, a simulation um, version of, of New York City, really, in which they can then increase uh, alcohol taxation by 1%, 5%, 10% and assess the impact that that has on on violent crime. Um, It's it's a fascinating technique, you know, creating a a simulation in which you can change variables and you can kind of test how those variables might impact the population. And one of the very interesting things that she talks about uh, in the interview is they, they can conduct these simulations alongside things that actually happen so particularly with um, changes in cannabis legislation they can um, run a simulation to predict what will happen see what actually happens and then allow those differences to inform what um, future factors need to be added to the simulation to make it more accurate to real life it's an absolutely fascinating uh, method some really interesting results um, and she, she was really lovely to interview as well so yeah really really great paper fabulous so we'll put a bit of the interview in here and then you'll be able to find the full interview on the addiction soundcloud page we can focus on sort of individual level mechanisms of why some people drink and why some people don't, why some people get alcohol-related harm and other, others don't. But it, these broad level policies, you know, there's been uh, 50 years of alcohol policy work that has really honed in on um, the influence of these population level policies. And alcohol taxation is, is just time and time again um, among the most effective means of controlling alcohol-related harm in populations. And I think what, you know, this study is not reinventing the wheel in that we're showing, yes, modest, sustained, uh, you know, evidence-based alcohol policy with respect to price um, can really reduce alcohol-related harm in population. So moving on to other substances, uh, there's a really interesting paper looking at polydrug use patterns and their impact on relapse among patients with heroin dependence in Shanghai and China. And these are patients who are in compulsory rehabilitation programs. And the results seem to suggest that history of polydrug use might predict heroin relapse risk among these patients. Um, It makes sense, you know, complex people can have complex courses through treatment. Um, Yeah, really interesting paper. Absolutely. And it's really nice to see this kind of work being done in populations that aren't the sort of usual suspects that are being looked at in these, being done in different populations means we can get a much broader kind of view about whether these things truly are global problems or whether they're specific to certain type like certain populations absolutely absolutely Another paper I found really interesting was looking at the age-varying effects of cannabis use frequency and disorder on symptoms of psychosis and depression and anxiety. So this was looking in both adolescents and adults, and they, the researchers found that associations between cannabis use and poor mental health that are seen in late adolescence and young adulthood appear to extend through adulthood. So if it is that cannabis is causally influencing this, then it could be causally influencing sort of long-term poor mental health, which is could make it a really important intervention point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Continuing that um, debate, I thought that was really interesting because there's, uh, there's, there's three articles in this edition that talk about uh, things that happen in childhood and how they influence um, adult, al- uh, adult mm-hmm. alcohol use in one of them. There's one on kind of, you know, the emotional impact of, of childhood cancer survivors and how yeah. that impacts their alcohol consumption. And this one about cannabis use um, and another one about 
uh, yeah, the role of early childhood stress. Um, so yeah, just really, really interesting to have those three, three things looking at something similar. Yeah, absolutely. And very important to consider what can potentially cause or we are, as we say, it's hard to say about causality here, but if it is causal, could that could have really sort of long-term implications. Yeah. So moving on to nicotine and tobacco, um, there's a really interesting paper by Koch and colleagues looking at e-cigarette use as a function of socioeconomic profile. Yeah, it's a, re- it's a really fascinating paper. Um, it's really worth a read. And I think what it does is it, it pulls apart some of the issues. So we see a lot, particularly with e-cigarettes, about prevalence uh, rising. And obviously there's some close monitoring on on whether this is becoming a big or increasingly big issue and quite rightly keeping an eye on on what's happening with prevalence and what this paper does is that it breaks down that prevalence so instead of just saying that you know e-cigarette use is is going up it's saying that actually e-cigarette use was going up amongst these particular groups and now it's going up or certainly recent increases are more uh, because of people with uh, lower socioeconomic status Um, and I think providing that kind of detail to the broad brushstrokes of prevalence is really really important. Absolutely and this has been the case with sort of nicotine and tobacco research for a long time was when smoking rates first started to go down it was only when you looked more closely that it became apparent that the smoking rates were going down in, in people of higher socioeconomic status at a much greater rate than, than in people of lower socioeconomic status. So actually, instead of reducing health inequalities, smoking prevalence decreasing might actually have been increasing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the interview with um, Catherine Keyes that we talked about a few moments ago, she talks about uh, reducing those health inequalities. So again, with taxation on alcohol, it, it affects the behaviour more of people of lower socio or people with uh, fewer resources. And so it kind of disproportionately targets them, but in doing so reduces those health inequalities. And it's a really interesting area to start pulling apart. Absolutely. So another paper about um, nicotine and tobacco that I thought was interesting is looking at the electronic nicotine delivery system use in relation to mental health conditions and mm. serious psychological dis- distress. And the authors of this paper found that in the US, the use of e-cigarettes was more common in people with versus without uh, mental health conditions. Um, really interesting. Okay, I think there's one more paper that I want to talk about, and it was a short report about um, prenatal food insecurity and whether that might influence neonatal abstinence syndrome severity. Mm. So this paper found that among pregnant women who were receiving opioid agonist treatment, those who were at risk of not getting enough food were also more likely to have babies that required treatment for uh, neonatal abstinence syndrome. Yeah. So I think in in the sort of the time that we're living in at the moment, this is an incredibly important paper, and I hope that it will be uh, expanded on soon because I think it's something that's really worth thinking about. What are the impacts of food insecurity, and how does food insecurity and addiction um, interact? Yeah, that sounds like a really important paper, um, a really important thing to to study in public. Now, you've had a look at some of the other non-research articles in this issue, haven't you? Have you got anything that you'd like to highlight? Uh, Yeah, so they're um, well worth a look. There's a series of letters, uh, letters to the editor about working uh, with the tobacco industry and accepting tobacco industry funding. Um, and there's three three different perspectives on this. Uh, one perspective from people who who have worked with the tobacco industry or with tobacco industry funding, um, and two perspectives about some of the different types of problems. And it it goes into some detail because again, it's one of those issues that can seem it's tempting to seem very uh, very simple about you. You either shouldn't do it or you should because science, you know it's the quality of your argument. But actually, the the detail about um, for example how tobacco funded research is regulated uh, is really interesting um, but also the 
the ways in which tobacco industry influences policy and research that sit outside the kind of ways that you might that you might expect. So it provides some really interesting detail to a, a, a thorny issue, which you know, which which is not going. Uh, uh, it's not going away as an issue, um, and I th- I'd strongly encourage anyone interested in that to to read through those letters. And it's both the, about the tobacco industry and the e-cigarette industry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, and and that's absolutely fascinating. You, you know, you have e-cigarettes, and there's you know there's a big debate around e-cigarettes and having uh, tobacco industry involvement in in that kind of development it, it can confuse those arguments, um, and is but is worth uh, is worth discussing and worth focusing on, and and particularly again there's. There's concern in in North America with the changing cannabis regulations. Um, you know, people have started talking about big cannabis as opposed to big tobacco, and you know what lessons can be learned from uh, from experience with the tobacco industry funding, uh, and then what's happening with cannabis, and how can we maybe prevent some of the less positive aspects of that relationship uh, reoccurring. Yeah, I completely agree. These letters are really important. And certainly for early career researchers who are just starting out in the field of kind of tobacco or nicotine research, it's such a thorny issue to navigate. And it's incredibly difficult to sort of work out whether you should go to certain conferences even or whether you, yeah. if you do something, you might then not be able to get funding from someone else later on in the future. It's incredibly complicated to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something that you may have to declare as an interest for the rest of your career. Um, yeah. Yes, so really interesting. And then the last the last section, if you're getting the paper journal, was, was a book review on the book Fighting for Space, uh, how a group of drug users transformed one city's struggle uh, with addiction. And uh, it's, it's a really uh, well-written uh, book review by Catherine McGowan. The book seems to detail uh, the kind of history of Vancouver and uh, over a particular time, o- over nearly 30 years, and a, a kind of evolving uh, cultures of, of drug use and, and how these things interacted with very specific things to Vancouver and, and more global uh, global issues. Um, and I think that's really interesting to kind of focus in on individual cities and their stories with, with addiction because they, they, they are different and you can learn a lot about what's different and, and what's individual. And I think, uh, yeah, it sounds like a really interesting book. Fantastic. Well, there's obviously lots of other great papers in this issue of the journal. We don't have time to go through them all, unfortunately. But um, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check out the interviews that we've conducted with some of the authors from this journal. And join us again next month when we'll go through the next issue. Fantastic. Thank you. Bye. Bye.